Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. because I announce a text from the book of Numbers. I realize that this is probably not the most exciting and thrilling book of the Bible, but there's something that I want to bring here this morning. I feel on my heart, and I apologize in advance for the vastness of this passage that I'm going to read, but nevertheless... I feel the Lord's direction in it, so bear with me a little bit. Let's begin with verse 1. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offerings before the Lord, six covered wagons, twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one of the ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, they may do to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation and thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to his service and Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service and four wagons and eight oxen gave he gave unto the sons of Merari according to their service and under the hand of Iathar, Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest, but unto the sons of Koath he gave none because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear it upon their shoulders. And the princes offered for dedicate, dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed, even the princes offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offering, each prince, on his day for the dedicating of the altar. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Amenadab, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger, and the weight thereof was an hundred and thirty shekels and one silver bowl of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering one spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense one young bullock one ram one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering one kid of the goats for a sin offering and for the sacrifice of the peace offerings two oxen five ram five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of 
for Minadab. Anybody bored yet? Verse 18, and on the second day, Nethaniel, the son of Zor, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing all of these names exactly correct, but uh, you tell me if you can do better, praise God. Prince of Issachar did offer, and he offered for his offering one silver charger. Sound kind of repetitious here. The weight thereof was 130 shekels and one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for the meat offering, one spoon of gold of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for the burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, ten or two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zoar. And on the third day, Eliab, the son of Elon, prince of the children of Zebulon, did offer, and I bet you can't guess what he was going to offer here. It begins the same process over and over again, and this is so for every one of these princes. They brought basically the same thing. And I want to read, this is one of the longest chapters of the Old Testament. I want to read verse 89. And when Moses was gone of the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubs. And he spake unto him. And we know that this, of course, was the voice of the Lord speaking to Moses. I want to preach for the next little while, if the Lord will help me, from this subject, great expectations. Great expectations. Praise God. Let's pray the Lord would help us today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're asking you to help us, to strengthen us through your word. We realize, God, the challenge that is before us. We want to bring your word to these good people here this morning and bless them through the word of the Lord. I pray, God, that it would be anointed. I pray that they would be anointed to receive. I pray, God, that there would be a great outcome. I'm thankful today for Brother Carl Trichel being baptized in your lovely name. I'm praying that you would fill him with your spirit. I'm asking, God, that this would be a great day for Brother Carl. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Praise God. Let's clap our hands again to the Lord. All that good Bible reading, I don't want it to have put you to sleep. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Great expectations. We hear a lot of discussion these days about the power of, of expectation. And truly, I want to say from the outset, I believe it's important that when you come to the house of God, that you don't come just uh, with a casual attitude, that you don't approach worship in the house of God with the attitude of what will be, will be. And if nothing happens, that's fine. And if something good happens, then I'll accept that also, but I believe that every time we come 
to the house of God, we should expect to experience something. I have found that expectation always precedes experience in God. Before anybody ever experiences anything in God, first you do have to expect that God is going to move. That's just the way that God operates. I'm going to tell you this experience of the Holy Ghost, which is the ultimate experience. It didn't come upon you as a surprise. It wasn't a shock to you, but you received it after which you was obedient to the Word of God and repented of your sins and then perhaps was baptized in Jesus' name. And we know that people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost on credit that they will be baptized in Jesus' name. But the Bible says that after you're baptized in Jesus' name, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can expect that. I said you can expect that. Amen. And I'm thankful that there are certain things that we can expect from the Word of God as promises of the Word of God that are going to be fulfilled as we are obedient to His Word and we fulfill the will of God in our lives and we can expect them to happen. But there's an element of faith here involved in expectation. I'm reminded of the lame man that sat at the gate, beautiful of the temple, and the Scripture says that every day he would beg alms of the people and when Peter and John went up at the hour of prayer the Bible said he looked at them expecting to receive something from them now we know that he was expecting something monetary he was expecting money he was expecting something to continue in this survival mode that he was in but that day his expectations was totally superseded. Can I tell you, it's always a wonderful thing when we come to the house of God and God moves in a certain way and it exceeds even our expectation. It goes further than what we even imagine. It goes further than what we even perhaps believe God was going to do. I believe that this could be such a day that God moves and God works And God performs miracles in the lives of people and God saves, God heals, and God does many things in this place. How many knows that God's not constrained just to work in one area? God is not constrained just this is a healing Sunday and I can't do anything else but heal folks. And that would be wonderful if we could see some people healed. But thank God that he can work in diversity here this morning. He can heal somebody over here in this section and he can heal somebody with the Holy Ghost in this section. He could deliver somebody in this section and he could give a miracle to somebody over there. That's how God works. The key is, is just getting in his presence. The key is, uh, is just when we have faith and release that faith to believe God and trust God that he's going to work. So I I don't want to, in in my preaching, I want to be very careful this morning that you understand that I do believe in expectation. I do believe that it's important that we have expectations when we come to the house of God. But I also believe that it's important that we learn how to deal with disappointments and we learn how to accept, not necessarily accept forever, but we don't allow a temporal disappointment to destroy future faith in God. We don't allow 
because it didn't happen like we expected it to, to destroy any future trust in God. Because faith is not always making things turn out okay, but faith sometimes is being okay with how things turn out. Oh, I can tell I lost my congregation already here this morning. This is not what you wanted to hear. You wanted to hear that the first time you prayed it, that God was going to heal you. You wanted to hear that the first time that you asked him was the first time or the last time that you would ever have to ask him about it. I wish it always worked that way. But I find a man knocking on the door at midnight until there was an answer. I find the lady that the Bible says would not quit when there was an unjust judge that regarded God, neither did he fear man. And the Bible says that she kept on asking. I told you last week that a lot of our miracles are in the ING. What are you trying to say? It's not just in ask one time, but it's in asking. It's in seeking. It's in believing. It's in knocking. Amen. It's in continuing. Amen. It's in continuing to be faithful. It's in continuing to, to pursue the things of God. And God is faithful to those that are faithful. God is faithful to those that are consistent and those that will continue to believe. Sometimes we think when there is uh, not an immediate answer, we link our faith to our expectations and we think that we perhaps do not have the proper amount of faith. And uh, because of that, we, we just have to learn to live with whatever the circumstances are. And we'll just have to learn to survive and get by. And perhaps some people, because they don't feel like they have the amount of faith that they should have, will never have the courage to ask God for something that they desire. And something maybe perhaps that God has even promised them. They don't think that they have the amount of faith that they should have. Therefore, they fail to ask God for it. Can I tell you that each one of us have been given a measure of faith and it's up to us to exercise it. It's up to us to release it. It's up to us to put it in motion. It's up to us to do something with it. Brother McDaniel, he cannot operate my faith for me. Neither, neither can I operate his faith. He has to exercise his own faith. Now, I do understand that God responds and and inspires people's faith by other people moving into action and doing things. We see this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, when they let down that man that was sick of the palsy to Jesus. The Bible says that he saw their faith. Not the man's faith that was in need, but he saw the four men that let him down's faith. So it is important that we all be involved here. Whether you have a need or not this morning, You need to exercise faith because there's some folks that do have a need here today. Whether or not you need the Holy Ghost, you need to exercise faith for somebody else that does need the Holy Ghost. Whether or not you need a healing, you need to exercise faith for somebody here that does need a healing. Whether or not you are desperately in need of a miracle here today, you need to exercise faith 
because uh, there's somebody here that does need a miracle this morning. Amen. Praise God. Isn't it interesting how that God uses, uses a person's action and faith, amen, to inspire others to believe and inspire others to trust Him and inspire others to put their faith in Him. Praise God. Amen. Somebody may be sitting in this service here this morning that has a desperate situation and honestly they're having trouble believing God is able to do anything about it. But when they see you move into action, they see your faith, something leaps in their heart and they're inspired by that and they they suddenly can believe God that if he's able to do it for them, he's able to do it for me also because God is not a respecter of person. And if God will do it for one, he'll do it for another. I'm telling you, we're in this house this morning and there's many that God has delivered. There's many that God has saved. There's many that God has filled with the Holy Ghost. There's many in this place that God has healed. And if he's done it for them, he'll do it for you. And if you believe that, you ought to clap your hands and praise the Lord. Praise God. Faith is expecting a certain result, but also trusting that God knows what is best. Your faith is not necessarily a a tool that leverages God to change His will or to change His mind about something. But it takes faith sometimes just to do the will of God, to be obedient to God. It takes faith. Faith in our relationship with the Lord is where it all starts. That's ground zero. That's the foundation. To come to God, a man must what? Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Faith is not optional equipment. Faith is not something you can decide, well, I don't know if I want it or need it. No, you need faith. And you must exercise that faith. In order, you can't allow faith this to lie dormant. Amen. Dormant faith is dead faith. Dormant faith is of no use. But faith has to be exercised. Faith sometimes is not spelled F A I T H, but sometimes it's spelled R I S K. Taking risk. For Peter, it was swinging his legs off the side of the boat and saying, you know what? It would be better to take my chances with the storm and walking on water than to stay in this sinking ship. I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to have faith that he's going to bring me to him. Sometimes faith is when logic says the fish are not here. They're not in this place and there's no sense in us trying anymore. But at the word of the Lord you say, nevertheless at thy word and let down your net and believe God one more time. Sometimes faith is when you don't feel a thing. You come down to the altar and say, God, I'm not here because I feel like it. I'm here because your word says it. I'm here because your word proclaims it. I believe, amen, nevertheless, according to thy word. 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We respond. We react. We do what we do a lot of times as a result of feeling. But I'm going to tell you, you don't need your feelings to be intact all the time. To worship God and to believe God. You may feel at your lowest. That may mean God is ready to do something if you would just believe him. Because when he does it then, it's going to be him that receives the glory. It's going to be him, amen, that receives the recognition. It's going to be him to all praise is going to go. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and give praise to the Lord. Hebrews 10, 12, and 13, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, aren't you thankful that we don't have to keep dragging lambs up here to church? Amen. Aren't you thankful that when we walked in there wasn't flies buzzing around, a stench in this place because of blood sacrifices being offered on these altars? Aren't you thankful that one sacrifice was given for sin forever. Set down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Even Jesus could not expect victory until he had been to Calvary and fulfilled the ultimate will of God. Even he, until his death, was not given victory over the enemy. Amen. What are you trying to say? It's through obedience to the will of God that we can expect God to move and God to work and God to do things in our life. But we cannot expect him to do so if we've not been obedient to his will. If we've not fulfilled his word. We cannot have expectations that God is going to move. Because there's certain things and certain promises that God has given to us. Prophecies, if you want to say it that way, that God has in store for us that are hinged on us being obedient to God. That's why I really got a problem with folks that say, well, I received a word from God back in 1989. And, you know, he promised me this. And it hadn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm still... I'm still, I'm still sitting on the promises, and I'm believing God, and I got this word of prophecy, and God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. So I'm just going to stay right here, and I'm going to believe God, and they don't do anything, and they don't move towards what God has promised them, and they do not do the things that maybe perhaps God has spoken to them to do, and his word says must be done for them to receive that promise from God. Are you still with me? And they just think that because God spoke it that I can just sit right here and wait on it. That's not necessarily the case. Amen. But there is some between time that God is wanting us in that interval to do some things. Amen. To do the part that we can't do so that he can do the part we cannot do. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. And we sit back and say, well, I, I'm going to believe God and trust God. And, and I, I'm just going and I, I understand all of that. But you still got to be faithful. You still got to live for God. You still got to remain consistent. You still got to come and do the will of the Lord in your life. If you expect those things, if you expect that victory, 
Amen. It was through the death of the cross that the enemy was made his footstool. Can I tell you that it's by being obedient to the will of God. Amen. And surrendering to the will of God that we too obtain victory in our life. And can I tell you that there are many, many things that God expects not just some of us to do, but all of us to do. Can you say praise the Lord? I want you to understand that. I want you to receive that. I want you to get that here this morning. There's things that God expects of each one of us that cannot be circumvented. Praise God. First of all, the Bible tells us that every one of us is to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're going to do to Brother Carl Trichel here this morning. The Bible said it this way, repent, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every, everybody say every one, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's not a requirement that is just for a certain segment of people. There is absolutely no exemptions to that. You don't get a pass on that. But everybody, amen, is required. The Bible says that he requires men everywhere to repent. And then everybody, according to this verse of Scripture, is required to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Everybody. No exceptions. You know, some certain people think, well, I'm going to get an exemption because uh, of this circumstance of my life or because of who I am or what my last name is. They've got the same attitude that Naaman had, who was the captain of the host of Syria, and he was told by the prophet, which insulted him, that he was to go dip in the Jordan seven times, and he thought he was going to get some type of an exemption from it. He said, you know who I am. I'm the captain. I'm the general. I'm the main man. I am the guy in authority. And matter of fact, I don't know who you think you are telling me to go dip in the muddiest and most filthy river that there is. I don't know. I, don't, I, I went and saw the Jordan. It didn't look any worse than the Sulphur River to me. But anyway, the Sulphur River, I'd hate to think that I had to do too much swimming in the Sulphur River. And you may swim in it all the time, but I've been down there and seen that thing foamed up with all that. I guess it is sulfur that is there, and it, and it has a smell to it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Wake up, folks. And uh, I don't know. I've even been concerned a few times eating fish out of it because I've seen all that. But I still do it. Amen. I haven't stopped. Don't plan on stopping, I don't guess. But he said, go. He said, I could think of a whole lot of other methods. I could think of a whole lot of other rivers that would be more affordable for me to dip in if that's what you want me to do. I, this doesn't make much sense to me in the first place to go dip in, in, in water and then, especially, to go 
to the most humbling place for me to go, and that would be the Jordan. But the servants looked at him and said, instead of grumbling and complaining and making excuses and desiring an exemption, why don't you just go and dip and be clean? Why don't you just humble yourself for one time in your life and be obedient and see what God will do for you? I'm going to tell you, it'll shock you when you're just obedient to God. It'll shock you the blessing that will come. It'll shock you how God will move and how he will work in your life. If you'll just surrender your will to him and say, God, I don't understand it necessarily, but it's not about me and it's not about my will and it's not about what I want, but I'm surrendering totally. I'm opening up my heart completely to you. And when I do this, God, I can expect that you are going to fulfill some promises in my life and the Bible says that when he come up after that seventh time that his skin was as clean and clear as a baby. There was no evidence of leprosy which of course was a type of sin. Can I tell you that when you're obedient to the word of God when it comes to baptism and you baptize in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin, you you may have went down a filthy sinner. You may have went down an addict. You may have went down scarred by immorality but when you come up you come up clean in the eyes of God you come up whole you come up with your sins remitted and washed away cast in the sea of forgetfulness the Bible said in one place that he cast your sins behind his back he said I don't want them before me anymore I'm not going to hold them against you I'm not going to lay them to your charge Everyone, everyone, I don't care if your grandma wasn't. I don't care if grandpa believed it or not. I'm telling you what the book says. Everyone has to be obedient to baptism according to the word of God to be saved. Is that right? Amen. Am I, am I left the book here? Am I left the scripture anywhere? Have I left anything out? Oh, no. Amen. And the second thing that everybody has to be obedient to. According to Scripture, Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. So coming out from the world and separating myself from the world, amen, is not just a good idea, and it's not just the lesser of two evils, or the better thing to do. But it is a requirement that everybody has to be obedient to to please God. No man, you understand, there's no exemptions. Do you understand that it didn't give any kind of a loophole there? It didn't say, well, you know, there's this, this certain segment of people that I'm requiring this of. But everybody, it said, no man shall see God without separating himself from the world, without endeavoring to live a holy life. Now, as I said Wednesday night, it's important that you not get the cart before the horse because if you don't have the Holy Ghost, it's impossible for you to live entirely holy. Amen. You'll live a very frustrated life. That's why we preach the importance and the necessity, essentiality of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
praise God. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That gives you the power. That gives you that spirit to overcome sin in your life. But without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's not my words. That's the book. That's what the Bible says. That's why we believe in it. That's why it's important. That's why we still preach it today. I know a lot of people are kicking it out. I know a lot of people are saying it's not necessary. I know a lot of folks uh, that are are saying that I'm not going to preach it anymore. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if there's two or 200 here this morning. It's still the truth. It's still right. Without holiness, no man. That's a requirement that I've got to be obedient to. And holiness, what is it? It's bringing ourselves and conforming to the will of God for our life. Somebody that's really surrendered to God doesn't have a problem living holy. They don't have a problem not going places that they shouldn't go. Because they got a holy God on the inside of them that says, you know what, I can't carry this and go there. I can't have this and go and be a part of that. Amen? And then the third thing that every one of us has to be obedient to, according to the Word of God. And you're going to like this one. Every one of us, Psalms 150 and 6, it said, let everything. You don't have an excuse not to praise God. Let everything that hath breath Praise ye the Lord. And in case you didn't get it, he says it again. He emphasizes it. He underscores it. He said, praise ye the Lord. Amen. Let everything. I want you to, I want you to. I want you to check the pulse of the person sitting beside you real quick. See if they're breathing. See if they got life in them. Amen. See if you can tell if they're alive here this morning. If they're breathing, they've got a requirement to praise the Lord according to the Word of God. There's no exception. Somebody said, well, you know what? Hey, Amen. I just don't flat feel like praising God this morning. That's not an excuse according to the Word of God. Somebody said, well, if you knew what everything I've been through and everything I've been experiencing and my problems and my my trials, uh, amen, do you think you're going to get out of it just sitting there in them? Uh, amen, you're the only way you're, you're going to get out of the prison, Paul, amen, is to praise God and sing songs and worship the Lord. That's your key. That's how the prison doors are going to come open. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath, praise ye the Lord. Everybody has a requirement. Everybody has been commissioned by the Lord to be a worshiper to be a praiser, to lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Everybody, everybody, everybody that has breath has a requirement to praise the Lord. And so, in at least these three things, everybody is to be obedient to. Baptism, amen, and holiness and praising the Lord and we could probably go on and on but that's just my three points here today and we cannot expect God to move until we're obedient to those things now at the beginning of these verses I read to you of how that the sons of Levi some of them was given two wagons and four oxen 
Some was given four wagons and eight oxen. And then poor old Kohath, his sons, given none, none. Whatever they had to carry, they had to carry it on their shoulders. And it would seem like a slight to them. It would seem like at first that this was God almost punishing them. Now, if you understand what it was they were carrying, you'll understand that it wasn't a slight at all. They were the ones that were chosen to carry the most precious things. And some people look at us and say, you know what, I feel sorry for you folks, the way that you you live and the thing. Ah, if you knew what we were carrying, you knew the treasure in earthen vessel, you wouldn't feel sorry for us at all. You'd understand we hadn't been slighted in the least bit. But it's a blessing to have what we've got. It's a blessing to, and a privilege to be able to live for God the way we live for it because we got something that the world didn't give us and the world can't take away. And so one time I, I preached a little message about that, about, about what perceived, was perceived at first to be a slight was really a blessing and how that is in our walk with God. Some things that happen to us, we, we think at first it's, it's a bad deal, but it turns out to be a blessing to us. But notice these guys, they didn't get all the same thing. And I'm going to tell you, that's the way life is. You don't get all the same advantages that somebody else might get. Amen? I, I know what it is uh, to see others... And you know what it is to see others, that it seems like they were just born with certain privileges and certain things. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to compare. And this is the worst thing you can do according to the Word of God is compare yourself to yourselves. He said it's not wise. Why is it not wise? Because God knows what it's going to take for each of us to make it in eternity. And that's what he's most concerned about. And so he knows your weaknesses. He knows your flaws. He knows your blind spots. So he knows what you can handle and what you cannot handle. Amen? And so he doesn't, according to the, uh, the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he was telling this story, talks about the master that went away, and he gave five talents to one, two to the other, and one to another. Somebody said, why am I a one-talent guy and this guy's a five-talent guy? Amen. The deal is, it's not that you need to fuss about the inequity. You need to realize that I have something to build on here and that God wants, that's the moral of that story, is that God wants to bless it all. Amen. And we'll give it to him. And we'll use it right. God will bless it. God will multiply it. Amen. I've seen five talent people bury all five of them in the ground. And I've seen one talent people take and use it and exercise it and turn it into something great. What are you trying to say? It's not it's not a disadvantage if you look at it in the right way. Your problems, your challenges, the things that you're faced with are not necessarily disadvantages to you. It may be the very thing that sees you saved if you handle it right. 
The things that you went through, the trials that you've endured, it may not be the thing that brings you down. It may be the thing that pulls you up. It may be the platform that you stand on, amen, that reaches to glory. Can I tell you that God will use you if you'll put what talents he's given you into action. God will multiply. God will bless. God will make a way. I wish I had time. I wish I had time. But later in this story, later on, you see all these princes of Israel. And what are they doing? They're bringing the same thing. Let me read it in case you didn't bore quick enough earlier. One silver charger of a certain weight had to weigh a certain amount. One silver bow full of fine flour, one spoon made of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb, one kid goat. For the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five goats, five lambs. And every one, same requirements. And you know what? When Moses took it all from all these 12 tribes, he took it in and he weighed it and he made sure it was right. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a reckoning day. There's going to be a judgment someday. And our lives is going to be put on a scale. And we're not going to be able to say, well, if you understood the circumstances of my life, you could understand why I come up a little short, God. You could understand why I didn't give my all in this. You could understand why I deserve a loophole. But that's not how it's going to work. Because when it was all weighed, and it was precise, and it was done like they had been commanded by God to do it. In other words, they fulfilled the word, and they were obedient to the word, and they did it to the letter. Then the Bible says that when Moses went into the tabernacle to stand before God at this dedication, in the 80, I mean, all of these details, these laborious details of 89 verses, we get to the last one, and we get down there, and it says he stood there in the presence of the Lord, and the voice of the Lord spoke to him. God spoke to him that day. And that's what we're all looking for is the approval of God and the blessing of God and for a word from God. Amen. And when we're obedient to the Lord, can I tell you that our expectation can be that God is going to speak, that God is going to work, that God is going to bless, that God is going to show up, that God is going to make his presence known. Can I tell you that it may seem like a minute detail to you. It may seem like a little piece of the puzzle that why and how come and it just doesn't make sense to me preacher but if you do it all like the word of God says it turns into a beautiful picture it may just seem like a puzzle that don't fit right it may seem just like a little piece that you don't know exactly where it ought to go but if you keep working with it and if you put it where it needs to go and if you'll follow God's plan at the end you'll see that God will bless and God will honor and God will make a way and God will open doors
ours. And God, amen, will fulfill his promise. Why don't you lift up your hands? Stand with me right now. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Let's pray a little bit.